Hi, I'm Michael Wiafe. And I'm Demetria Wack. Welcome to PolicyWise, a podcast from Youth Leadership Institute in collaboration with California Forward and their Young Leaders Advisory Council, where we challenge assumptions, discuss, and question policy to find out, is this policy wise? Each episode, we invite current and rising policy leaders to discuss current events, social issues, and political topics in order to promote youth voice and establish a model of intergenerational policy discussions. All right, how's it going, Michael? What's up, Demi? How's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> you are hilarious. About it. Well, <laughs> We're recording this day, a day or day three into the election. Yeah, it's been in a crazy few few couple days. Um, but with us, we do have an incredible guest. Um, I know all of our guests are incredible, but this one is extra special to us. Um, Tim Haydock from the Youth Leadership Institute. Tim, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. I'm Tim Haydock from the Youth Leadership Institute. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I, uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. I'm based here in Fresno, California. It's the best place ever. Uh, and I've been working with Youth Leadership Institute for a couple of years now as the communications director. I work on storytelling projects across the organization and basically doing our best to amplify youth voice. Um, before that, I was with YouthWire and I've been working in youth media for almost seven years now. Um, first here in Fresno at the No Youth Media, YouthWire, and now with Youth Leadership Institute. And at YLI, you know, my, the comms team, we oversee obviously all of our social channels, but also all of our narrative change work. So we do work with um, Demi and Michael, for instance, uh, as part of PolicyWise. This is like one of our premier projects right now. His favorite podcast, also my favorite. We also put out a, um, a youth policy journal every year um, that Jarrett Ramones, our technical assistant today, is working on, where young people from across the state come together, they select an issue, and then they provide stories and, and artwork for uh, the issue, and then that gets distributed both digitally and in print. And last year we won an LA Press Award for the design. Wow. Heck yeah. So. I think, uh, yeah, that's me and the work I think is really important because right now uh, I think the, the rest of the world is waking up to the fact that young people should be included in more spaces, that young people can lead us and bring new energy and new ideas to the space. And it's a matter of justice to make sure that everybody has access, especially young people and especially people of color, to the decision-making tables that are going to determine the next um, years of our lives and how just or unjust those years are. And we're trying to make them more just. Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. That was, that was a great precursor to the conversation that we're going to have today. Um, and so for the past year, something else that, that YLI has been working on with California Forward is um, bringing together and amplifying the youth voice. And this all kind of started because of a great few moments that were shared together at the 2019 California Economic Summit. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that before, um, before we kind of dive deep into it? Yeah, you got it. Thanks, Michael. So last year, uh, I approached California Forward and Micah and the team over there because I was really hoping that as the 2019 California Economic Summit came to Fresno, my hometown, I wanted to make sure that I was... Um, that we were seeing and showcasing young people in that process and folks who are doing really good community work but who sometimes get, get overlooked. And it was time, I, I thought, um, for the main stage to be shared 
with some new voices and new ideas. And California Forward was really excited about this idea. And so last year I was able to put together with the California Forward team, the first ever youth plenary session. We spoke um, just about a half hour before Gavin, Gavin Newsom spoke. So that was pretty fun to, to, to be the, the kind of lead uh, introductory group for the, the governor. And basically what the point was, was how can we make sure that the, 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 the stage for 30 minutes really captures a different type of voice, a different type of work that is going on in California and that is really critical to civic engagement and to making our communities places that are more healthy and more just for everybody. So I put together um, a panel of four people, uh, Lang Lung Tao, who is an incredible young leader up in Stockton, sits on the school board, also runs a foundation up there. Um, Jasmine Delafosse, who is an organizer with Gathering for Justice um, and is, does a ton of incredible work um, in Stockton um, around criminal justice and education, e equity and education organizing. AP Anthony R. Moore, who works in um, economic development here in Fresno um, with Neighborhood Industries, running a thrift store and a recycling shop where he's making mm -hmm. sure that um, community members um, who have been denied jobs in other ways have access to, to those jobs. And then Keyshawn White, who is a young person who has made quite a name for himself here in Fresno and elsewhere. Keyshawn was a part of our Boys and Men of Color program for a number of years. He's a part of um, Faith in the Valley. He has put together the Keyshawn White Air Project, uh, Air Quality Project, where he has put air quality monitors in every Fresno high school. He has won funding to do this. He has put up those uh, air monitors so that people in Fresno have access to real-time air quality data. And he's a young person that we've been learning from a lot because he's an amazing person. He put together an app um, so that folks, folks keep that information. So I put those four people together on a stage and we thought a lot about, okay, what can we do that's a little different from, from the economic summit, but how can we make sure that we're amplifying young voices in this conversation and, and um, opening up the conversation, I think, to, in new ways. And I think we, we had a fun time doing it. That's for sure. Yeah, it you sounds like it was it. a really impactful event. You killed it. I, I got to witness it um, just because I was, I was working for an organization at the time who um, just happened to be running uh, or like helping support the California Economic Summit. And so I snuck into the, to the main event or what I didn't realize was going to be the main event. Um, but yeah, there was just like shockingly amazing reviews. And I think I ran up to, I think I ran up to Keyshawn afterwards and I was like, how, how do I get on this? How do I get on board? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah, it's cool because I know we're going to dive into that and let everybody listen to last year's session. But I think the, the, the session itself was really fun, but it also started this journey, which I think Michael mentioned earlier, and that's important to shout out. You know, immediately, um, both Youth Leadership Institute and California Forward were like, we might be able to step this up a notch. How can we make sure that young people are even more engaged in the economic summit? How can they be a part of the work groups? How can we do more to amplify young voices in this moment? And of course, part of like the result of that is this podcast for one. Uh, Policy Wise is a direct, you know, child from this as like Demi and Michael have brought this, you know, amazing idea and production into being. Um, and we're happy to be, to be running it and in partnership with California Forward. And we've got more, as y'all are going to hear about soon, we've got more planned with young people and the economic summit and how do we make sure that, you know, these important policy discussions that are happening in California, how are they most, in, 
how can they be informed by young people in really meaningful ways and shaped by young people? I think that's the, that's the part I'm hoping for. Exactly. How can young people use their voice and find agency in their power to make a meaningful difference for their communities, right? I, I think that's kind of the, the foundation of it. And so I'm really happy to see that this is something that's happening now. And I think something that's growing like wildfire, um, especially given the past year and seeing how important it is for young people to have that power and agency in their own voice. Cool. Thank you so much, Tim. Uh, I do have a question. Are you jealous of Gen Z? Would you trade your position? Oh, wow. <laughs> part of Gen Z. Z. Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. You know, I'm like, a, I'm on the older millennial side for those keeping track at home. Um, and, you know, I, I've always uh, been somebody who has thought a lot about the way that generations are shaped by, by the forces around them, right? By the forces that their parents created. And I think, uh, no, I would not trade places with Gen Z because I, uh, you know, I like being a young 36, but I am, I am um, inspired by Gen Z and I feel really good about the ways in which um, they're re reshaping the conversation. And so I think what my generation tried to do and didn't do well enough, um, you know, as we're still doing it, we still got a lot of work to do millennials, but you know, I think that the way that Gen Z has shaped the conversation in a unique and meaningful way for me is that they, um, folks are bringing a really good balance of inside outside strategy. So on one hand, Gen Z is saying, we're just going to reject wholesale this idea that um, a green new deal, for instance, is too expensive because what's too expensive actually is not taking really important and active steps on climate change. So that kind of like changing of the narrative that Gen Z, Gen Z has done, I actually really respect and think it's helping our, our political moment a lot. Um, and I'm excited to do what I can do to make sure that all levels of political engagement, whether those are electoral or other, uh, other, other ways of political engagement, I just want to make sure that those are representative enough so that people can be a part of the process. And too often we've shaped those processes so people can't be a part of it. I'm not as good on, you know, on social and TikTok and I'm not as good at the memes <laughs> as Gen Z, but I'm trying to stay up and stay in support as, you know, so, and doing my, I'm trying to bring my, you know, what I can do to, uh, to help the, help the, the, the struggle, help the cause. I think, I think each generation stands on the shoulders of giants. Mm. I think. Millennials did a good job laying the path. I, I actually might be a millennial. Are we millennials? No, I'm pretty sure we're Gen Z. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool, I think cool. you're Gen Z. I think Jared's yes. right on the... I think Jared, you're, <laughs> uh, you're, you're technically a millennial. And now enjoy the first ever youth plenary session from the 2019 California Economic Summit. The first part was cut off, so it begins in the middle of AP Armor's introduction and also features Lang Lungtao, Jasmine Della Foss, and Keyshawn White first day of school, freshman year of high school, um, and she literally saved my life. And it wasn't because she had a massive bank account and huge excess, but she just said, I can put some clothes on this guy, I can feed this kid, and it literally saved my life. If it wasn't for her, I'd be face down in a drain pool somewhere, probably following the same steps that my, my family laid for me. Um, so where I'm at today, you know, fast forward about a decade, you know, I, I had a really rude awakening outside. I, I realize I'm closer to 40 than I am 20. <laughs> and um, I was like, I'm like, yeah, we're young, we're doing things. And I was like, my, my dad body is like jiggling as I'm saying these things, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, like, 
when we're asked like what am i why am i here i'm like why am i here you know like i look in the mirror and i i see just a guy who's trying to do the best he can with what's in front of him and I, i've dedicated about a third of my life to building businesses that can afford to take risks on people my personal bank account probably not going to change the world it barely changes the, the state of my old home right and um but I realized that I've been given these businesses. I've been given the opportunity to build these small businesses that has a bank account that I can invest in people. And um, we talk a lot about the triple bottom line. And what I'm really excited about this panel is that, um, you know, I spent most of the yesterday morning sitting here and listening to really impactful policy speech and really big words and really fancy looking people and really intense, uh, I, you know, like ethereal like challenges. I'm thinking, what's actually happening? Like, what's actually like? Where's the boots on the ground? Who's actually in the trenches? And I, and I what's exciting about you know curating this conversation is that the the future of California happening is happening now, right? You know, I've been in business and I've had the privilege of uh, you know specializing in the post-consumer markets, right? I basically take the stuff that's dusty in your garage and I turn it into jobs, right? You know, we have a thrift store, a recycling company, you know, we have a little vintage boutique, but you know. What I've learned through the years of, uh, you know, taking 5.5 million pounds of deterred material from landfills and we turn that into about a million dollars in paychecks every single year is that we're a small business. We're not going to, we're not going to change the entire state of California, but what we can do is change the life of one, one parent. We can, we have the opportunity to change the opportunity for some to provide for their children. We have the opportunity to, to take their kids to the movies, right? To afford a luxury that we all have. And like, that's what's so great about California, right? Like people from all over the planet come to our state. They come here. We have some of the best mountains on planet earth right in our backyard. You can show up in the city of Fresno and with a whisper and still have a voice. And I think that's very impactful. I think, you know, I think with, uh, oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, but if we're really talking about the future of Fresno, I, I think we have to talk about wise investments. You know, we can talk about these new shiny big box businesses or these new developments and poems. But you know, what I've learned in my industry is that when you invest in things that have stood the test of time, you really extract the true value of that. When you invest in things that have survived something, those are the things that will last. And it's not going to be some brand new home that has like this cheap you know, drywall, but it's going to be the house that was built in 1920. The laughing plaster and the unique characteristics of that home are what make it valuable. And I think that's what Fresno has. And I think that's what the, the Central Valley has is we don't have very many new shiny things, but we have a plenty of buildings that have stood the test of time. We have people that have demonstrated resiliency beyond everybody's understanding. Of this. I think if we can invest in those things, that's what's going to change the future of California. That's what's going to change the narrative of poverty. That's going to change the narrative of, you know, high statistics and homicide and um, high teen pregnancy rates, whatever it may be. But I think we need to invest in the things that, that have already survived something. Awesome. So as you can tell, we have some amazing change makers, not just storytellers, but also folks who have a clear vision for where California is going and, and what real change will look like. So um, the next question I want to throw at you, and I'll start with AP and maybe go in reverse, is um, you mentioned, obviously, this access to a living wage and bringing folks into um, an inclusive economy. But how are you measuring success and how are you measuring impact? Um, what have you seen work on the local level that gives you hope and you think should be scaled statewide? Things that work, you know, I think it's just uh, not investing in these, like, in these large 
plans that are going to affect entire like cities, entire regions, but you know, things that focus on the, the individual themselves, right? Um, and it's a my little small sample size. You know, we believe that if we can invest more dollars into more uh, Fresno's poorest neighborhoods, we're going to start seeing change, right? You know, from a very basic level, great employees typically make great parents, right? You know, just as important to show up to work on time, they're going to show up to their kid's baseball game on time, right? You know, uh, you're not going to bring weapons and your fists to deal with conflict in the job. Don't do that your spouse. Don't do that your neighbor, right? So I think if, if the policies and change, I think it needs to be more focused on individuals and more focused specifically on the landscape in the city and the neighborhood that is being addressed. Not just like, we can't just make one rule that's going to affect the entire region, but how do we, how do we change local policy that affects the true people that we're serving? And what was your idea? What, what informed the idea for neighborhood industries? How did you decide to take these kind of discarded items and use them to, to build that living wage economy? It was kind of been a thrift dude my whole life, man. You know, I've always been poor, so um, I found the value of finding like things that have like lasted. You know, I have a sweater I bought in 1999 wool. I've not washed it once. And, uh, you know, it's like this thing's obviously doing something right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. That must be a nice sweater. It's the best. Uh, uh, Jasmine, what about you? So I know you talked about what brought you back to Stockton, but you know what? What? is the work that you're engaged in in the Central Valley and other parts of Inland California and how are you measuring success? Yeah, I think what's worked is that we have brought young people to the table. In every single place where there's a decision being made, we made sure that young people were a part of this conversation. And if we truly want to build an intergenerational um, movement and community and build this beloved community that Dr. King talks about. I think it really starts with making sure that people who are at the table are not, are a part of these conversations. An example of how this has impacted like young people specifically is that when we think about zero tolerance policy, there was this issue around bullying happening in schools. Then we said, let's talk about zero tolerance policy. What ended up happening that the decision was made without communities involved that ended up harming young people, specifically black and brown youth. That ended up leading young people into the school-to-prison pipeline that then exists. So when we make decisions, when young people are at the table or people, we sometimes do more harm than we do good, thinking that we make a good decision because it sounds good. Um, and so I think what's important is to always remember that just because it sounds right, if we're making decisions about people who are not at the conversation, we need to make sure that they're there. Um, and so, and to also talk about zero tolerance policy, that started in the prisons. That didn't come from anywhere else. We brought what was happening in prisons into schools. And so I think it's important for us to understand that concept. So for myself, I would like to measure success. Um, pretty much just looking at myself in the mirror. I think I myself is pretty successful. So, but before I started my project, I was just like any other um, African-American youth growing up in the ghettos, um, just moving around, figuring out where I really belong until I got connected with the Fresno, Fresno Boys and Men of Color group and Marcel, and they really taught me a lot of advocacy skills and that pretty much moved move forward to me publicly speaking and me just able to speak, uh, able to grab the voice for my community and really able to, people were able to hear when I say things and pretty much not, uh, you just pretty much being outbursts and feel like he's being unfair. <laughs> So and from that, I was able to start my project. And from my project, I was able to bring not only bring in youth that was in my circle, but also 
other youth that was also in college and also bringing them together and seeing them just work and just actually see them develop the skills that I so I developed in also this work. And just knowing that what worked for me was having a, a whole space of people that not only believed in what I believed in, but also was there to pick me up when I fell down and also didn't turn a blind eye to me if they see that I was doing wrong because like I said, being a youth in the Southwest, there's a lot of, uh, how I say, temptations that a lot of you fall into. And they were having that, that ear in the back of my head, like, man, you're better than this and we can do better. And you can, as you doing better, you can set an example for the people behind you. And also being educated about um, grants yep. and being funding, because like I said, being a Southwest resident, you, that sounds fake. Like <laughs> getting money just for doing good work sounds really <laughs> fake to me. <laughs> so... <laughs> it took it took when I got my first grant of a thousand dollars and a thousand dollars for me at the time was was so big and like just getting a thousand dollar mail sent to the house my mom seen is like for what what are you getting this type of money for <laughs> and me explaining this to her about the work I'm doing and and also seeing the sparkle in her eye that I seen her son is out here doing something and not only me saying that I can me being the one Keyshawn I can go out and find 30 Keyshawns in my community and creating them, bringing them in the same space as I am. And I feel like that has been very successful in the sense of which of uh, me being an example of just pretty much having us, because everybody here see Keyshawn White, but no one really see the, how I say, the people behind me community. that creates Keyshawn yeah. White. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and before we transition to the last question, which is going to be really quick, I just want to hone in on that, that budget piece because... I hear that you did, you've done a lot with few resources, right? How thousand dollars went to to provide how many air monitors? Um, so my first grant was a thousand that provided the the drone and the air monitor to start the experiment, and then I went out and got another grant of ten thousand from Wildlife. Was able to purchase the monitors, and then For another twenty. Every school in Fresno Unified, right? Uh, yeah, every high school in Fresno Unified. That's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. So. Maybe someone in this room can give you your next grant. Um, <laughs> all right, so I see the time check window. We're finishing up, but I, the last question, it's rapid fire. I want you to imagine you're sitting in front of some of California's most influential leaders in government and business. Oh, wait, you are. Um, um, before we leave, what is your big, ambitious policy informed by what you see in your communities that you believe would enable a true golden California for all? And I want this to be 20 words or less. I'll model. I'm a former teacher, so... I would say fully funded four-year college tuition for any Californian who commits to, pu to public service and a Cal Poly in Stockton. Yeah. Who wants to go next? Land usage, stop suburban sprawl, uh, and water. Don't quit building places where there's no water. Yes. reinvest in rehabilitation, reinvest in culture-rooted healing, uh, evening centers, community centers, enrichment for young people, mentorship, etc. But close youth prisons, reinvest in alternatives to incarceration. The Green New Deal, contracting the Green New Deal is specifically for California, and it's a requirement to have a monitor for every square mile in Fresno. Awesome. All right, can you please join me in getting another 
This was a podcast recording of PolicyWise. We are your hosts, Michael and Demi. PolicyWise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Ford and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Jared Amonos produced this episode and the music was created by Ian Post and sourced from artistlist.io. If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org and be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps. To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussion with hashtag PolicyWise. See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion on PolicyWise.